Wall Street veteran Bernard Madoff has been arrested and charged with running a $50 billion Ponzi scheme. Congress wants to know what caused the Enron meltdown. Now, well, the collective rage currently is focused on Wilcom. Tyco CEO Dennis Kozlowski was convicted of looting hundreds of millions of dollars. This is one of the biggest fraud cases ever. Their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. Find out more on this week's episode of White Collars, Red Hands. My pants falling down in front of the entire class in third grade. My first attempt at kissing. And the time that I could not remember the word toothbrush for several minutes when talking to someone I wanted to impress. These are a select few of the biggest failures in my life. Everybody makes mistakes. From McDonald's workers to the United States president. But one of them forgets mayo on my burger while the other starts wars in Iraq with a single fuck up. Needless to say, the scope of failure varies widely. On today's episode, we do a little something different. Uh, We are going to discuss three of the biggest fails of the financial industry that all had ties to at least some criminal activity, some of the biggest oopsies ever committed, (laughs) the worst years, days, and even mere hours that went into the quick unravelings of Robert Citron, Bill Huang, and Steve Perkins. And we have a special guest here today. Uh, I had been feeling under the weather for the past few days, so I got a COVID test today, and Nina was uncomfortable coming over and recording with me in case I might kill her and her family. So instead, we're recording with someone who has no choice but to be locked up with me, <laughs> and on short notice, my girlfriend, Jesse Gowans. Hi, I'm Jesse. <laughs> Strong intro. <laughs> I'm not a performer, okay? Yeah, Jesse's not a performer, but she's here. Uh, instead of doing this episode alone, I figured that it would be better to have uh, Miss Jesse Gowans on here with me as a backboard. We spend a lot of time together, right, Jesse? No. Not a time to go into that conversation. Uh, I'm not real. He doesn't have a girlfriend. This is actually an AI that I'm talking to. Uh, this is my version of Siri. It's Jesse, just spelled with one I. Uh, hey, Jesse. Yes, Kashan. Oh, it knows my name? That's weird. Uh, <laughs> I programmed it that way. I want it to address me as such. Uh, what's the weather in Cambridge? Sunny with the chance of meatballs. <laughs> Great. Great. <laughs> yes, yes, so Jesse is not a comedian, not a performer, <laughs> but, <laughs> but as someone I have a lot of experience talking to. Unfortunately. But not about the subjects today. <laughs> hey, come no, on, bro. Uh, so. Uh, before we get into today, I did want to say we are going to extend our Podiversary giveaway for one more week. So you have until next Friday, which is uh, the 19th of November, to enter the Podiversary giveaway. All you have to do is go to whitecollarsredhands.com, hit the button on the top right that says enter our giveaway, fill out the information, and we will contact the few select winners about how to get you your merch after that. So please get on to that. We want to give back to you guys for listening to us for so long. Um, and on to today's subject matter. Wait, the, am I allowed to submit for the merch? Uh, no, just Dang buy it. some, bro. <laughs> Support me with actual money. No one, no one else has to do that. You guys can get the free merch, uh, but hey, you, I, you I pay half your rent. Isn't that enough? Yes, mommy. Oh, no. Gross. Gotcha. Wait, wait. I have a question about your intro, though. Okay. Who 
Who are you trying to impress with the word toothbrush? I don't remember, but I remember <laughs> it. It probably seems more high stakes in retrospect, but I just remember literally sitting there being like the the thing, the thing that you, you know, you put in your mouth, it, it cleans your teeth. The thing that you put, that you, you brush your a toothbrush. Like it was very I embarrassing. I feel like I've experienced this, but it might've just been you telling me the story. But Specifically what if- with toothbrush? Yeah. Or what if I was the person you were talking to when you forgot to? It was not you. It was in high school. It was way before we met. Oh. So. Oh, so it was one of your exes. Yes. (laughs) That's what it was. Sorry if that disappoints you that I forgot the name of Toothbrush with another girl. (laughs) I didn't know that you uh, were making AIs back then, too. (laughs) Because you don't have any girlfriends. (laughs) Okay. All right. Moving on. So today's a compilation episode where we usually uh here on white colors right hands we talk about just one subject but honestly i didn't even know if i was going to be able to record today so i threw this together kind of quickly so this is going to have a uh small claims court feel to it where we're going to do but we're going to do three subjects so three short things that are all inclusive but tied together through failure and the first big failure we're talking about is that of robert citron Citron. Yeah, uh, who is not a citrus flavor of vodka, believe it or not. <laughs> or a transformer. Or what? <laughs> I don't know, like a citron does not like boop boop. <laughs> sound boop like a boop? Robot. Boop boop? <laughs> like a robot. <clears throat> Aren't You are a robot, you should know. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, can I curse on this? Yes. <laughs> You've listened to the show. I know. We curse incessantly. That's what like all the reviews say, too. Uh, Robert... Laffy Citron, his middle name is Laffy, (laughs) he did something laughable, (laughs) Uh, was born in Los Angeles in 1925. Uh, The son of a doctor, he would go on to provide his first disappointment when he dropped out of the University of Southern California and did not garner a degree, ever. Uh, The young, now college-less Citron then decided to do what all dropouts do, make a career in the treasurer tax collector's department, which sounds evil. I just want to point that out. Uh, the tax collector is never painted as a nice guy. I think of the sheriff who's the collecting taxes at the beginning of the animated Disney uh, Robin Hood. Oh. <laughs> the fox. And he's like mm-hmm. the bear that goes around and collects everyone's taxes and tries to like kill the protagonist the whole time. Oh, you think this guy's a murderer? I don't know. I don't, I don't know what Robert Citron does in his free time. Yeah, but you don't need a degree to do that. Like, maybe he's a philatelist. Maybe he's collecting stamps. Or maybe he's torturing small animals. I don't know. Okay, but you don't need a degree to do this tax thing? No. I feel like that's an important job. Not every important job has to be manned by someone with a degree. I mean, I guess that's true. You know? People who, people who go into trades and do things without a degree are just as important to the social structure as people that do. I guess that's true. I mean, we as a society put on a big, like, need to go to college, but you can do a lot of fruitful things without doing that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, yeah that's true. That's true. That being said, mm. Robert Citron was a fuck-up. Uh, <laughs> and now he's collecting taxes? Yeah, well, he became the king of bad guys when he was elected to the top position in 1973. He was the treasurer tax collector of Orange County, which is an elected position, I guess. So he must be, like, charismatic. No. <laughs> you probably won because his last name was Citron. It sounds interesting. They're like, yeah, sure. Put That's that true. on the ballot. They were like Transformers. <laughs> when was the last time you knew anything about who was running for the treasurer tax collector department? Never. Exactly. 
<laughs> Although I would pick a guy with the last name Citron, so I get it. See, there we go. Uh, well, this job gains you access to several county-controlled funds, and under his leadership, the funds gained money while he never had to raise taxes. How does that happen? Uh, his opponents throughout seven re-elections said that the profits were the results of risky bets made with taxpayer money. So Citron was making risky bets. Yeah, he's the one as the uh, the treasurer tax collector of Orange County. He has access and control over a bunch of different investment funds. Like he has access to this money. He like yeah. has a debit card to the bank of... Not for personal use, but you know, yes. Yes and no. Mm. So he wasn't gambling. He was just <clears throat> investing it. No, he, well, you can invest in a way that borders on gambling. Well, yeah, yeah. And he wasn't going to a casino. Well, and if it turns out, though, they were exactly right. He was making a lot of risky investments with this money. Citron had access to $8 billion in the Orange Dang. County funds, uh, and he went out and leveraged this position up to over 292% through the use of repurchase agreements and floating rate notes. Mm. Now, since Jesse is a first-timer here on White Collars Red Hands, uh, I'm going to discuss what leverage is. Leverage is a, a debt-to-equity ratio. It basically shows how much of a entity's investments are from borrowed money. And 292% is a lot. <laughs> it means like three times what you had available to invest. That's how much you've borrowed to invest. So for him, his $8 million is his leverage. A billion. Oh, oh, dang, $8 billion. So he had access to $8 billion, and then he leveraged that 292%. So he used $8 billion of Orange County's money, but then plus. plus three times that. My gosh. From borrowed money. And how we borrowed this money was from repurchase agreements and floating rate notes. So we're going to talk about what those are. Uh, repurchase agreements, also known as repos, are a short-term lending strategy where the seller sells you an underlying security under the contract that they will buy it back, usually the next day at a higher price that is equivalent to an interest rate. Um, and you collateralize the loans with the security you sell them and in this case, that was treasury bonds. A lot of the time, they use government securities, so government bonds to collateralize these loans. So I come to you, I say, hey, I have you know, $10,000 in treasury bonds. I will sell this to you. You get to keep it, and I'll buy it back from you tomorrow at a 3% interest rate, so 3% more. It's so like I'm gaining 3% and you're just getting your loans back. But I get the money for short term in a short term loan and you get the bond. So let's say mm. I come back, I can't pay you the 10,000, what is it? $10,030 or whatever that I owe you. You then get to keep the bonds and sell them. So oftentimes the bonds I have to give you to get the short term loan are excess or worth excess of what you loaned me. That's why it's it's worth it. Yeah, so they're like they're basically like payday loans, but mm. with like government securities. Weird. So I'm giving you these, I get some money, and that's how he was getting the money to make investments. So he was basically bonds aren't very liquid. You can't you can't just cash out of them and sell them and move them around and do things. But mm. cash is. So you trade the bonds for cash, use the cash to make investments. And then you keep... If the investments go good, you buy your bonds back. Mm -hmm. oh, at, at a small sneaky, interest rate, but, you, but you've made more money with, the, with the, the cash that you got. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also a way for like companies that have just a bunch of excess cash laying around because companies don't like that. They don't mm -hmm. like having a bunch of cash because it always decreases in value. It's a way for them to get cash out. 
and do shady stuff and and keep their money invested in something that accrues value over time mm-hmm. and that they they know they'll get a return on it one way or another um now a floating rate notes are bonds that have a variable coupon or interest payment based on a reference index like LIBOR, which we have discussed, uh, plus a spread. In this case, uh, they were the treasury notes that used the U.S. uh, federal bank or federal reserve set interest rate. So a bond, basically, what a bond is, is that when I sell you a bond, in this case, a government bond, you're selling debt. So it's basically the government being like, we need money to fund stuff. So we'll sell bonds. You buy a bond from us for $10,000. And when the bond matures in 20 years, we'll give you that $10,000 back, the exact sum back to you. But every year we'll pay you a coupon, which is a percent back on the investment. So every year we'll also pay you 2.5% of the $10,000 back to you every year. And then at the end of the year, end of the bond, when it matures, we'll give you back the full $10,000. That's why it was super popular to like give kids back in the day like bonds and stuff and let them sit they're very stable investments because Mm. especially stuff like government bonds it's very unlikely that the u.s government is going to default on their loans well yeah because nobody's gonna let that happen yeah because it's a government yeah so they're very stable investments the returns are small but there's not there's almost no risk Mm. almost none so but him Taking out all this money and getting it uh, and leveraging his investments this way basically means that with all the money that Citron has in these pools, he would be profitable if the U.S. interest rate remains low or like right now the U.S. interest rate is zero. Mm -hmm. So if he can pay it back at zero, he remains profitable. He has the money now. But if they go up, he loses a bunch of money. Okay. So when interest rates did rise in 1994, many securities in Orange County's investment pools took on significant losses, causing investors to contact them with margin calls. And now Mm -hmm. briefly again, a margin call is when a collateralized asset falls in value on a loan so that the lenders, they call whoever took out the loan and ask them to either provide more cash or more collateral because whatever they backed it up with is now worth less. Oh, I see. So now they're like, you got to make it equal again. Yeah. So when you back up a loan with with a stock, mm-hmm. per se, and the stock falls 50%, they're like, they're uh, going to call you and be like, hey. Can I have some Melissa? They're like, hey, that's the stuff you <laughs> backed up this loan with ain't worth as much. You got to yeah. give us some more money or else we're going to take everything you have. Mm-hmm. Well, since his position was so highly leveraged already, there was no extra cash or collateral to put up. Orange County tried to gain capital by another treasury bond issue for $600 million, but the losses incurred were already $2 billion, which forced the entirety of Orange County to file for bankruptcy oh, after, know, qu- after Credit Suisse blocked the rolling over of $1.25 billion in repos. And Jesse, this is your quote. Rollover essentially means issuing another repo when the previous one ends, but at the new prevailing interest rate. What a very good and insightful thought that I definitely didn't have you read from the outline. I thought of it myself. Thank you for inputting (laughs) that into this discussion, Jesse. Yes, a rollover is when uh, a repo would switch over. So at the end of the day, 
they say, okay, well, you didn't pay us back today. We'll switch it to tomorrow at the next interest rate. So basically they're like, we'll give you more time, but you're going to owe more money. So the repo can go forever. This is just like a huge, you're just going to dig a hole. You're never going to get out of it. Well, usually if you're investing the cash into something that actually generates a return, you just, you just, whenever you get the return on that, you buy it back and and everyone wins. You get get the cash to invest. This is how all finance works. You get the cash to invest now. In things in a short-term lending model, when you get a return on investment, you buy it back, and both sides make money. And if the person can't buy it back, well, you get to keep the security, so you know at least you yes, okay. you made it out. Mm-hmm. But he couldn't, and that is the re- and and so the bank was like, "Oh, we see that we see that you're not going to be able to make this back. We're just going to keep it." $1.25 billion. So they, so they technically let him off the hook for it? <clears throat> no, absolutely oh, not. Okay. Because Robert Citron pleaded guilty to six felony counts uh, that largely centered around misleading investors in the pool. Uh, he served one year in prison and five years of supervised probation and died at the age of 87 in 2013. Wow. And a big fun fact from this is that Robert Citron, when things started going sour, it was later revealed that he relied upon a mail-order psychic for interest rate predictions. Oh my gosh, talk about desperate. Just imagine this person, like this psychic in like California, being, and this guy comes to you being like, I really need to know what the U.S. is going to set their <laughs> interest rates at, and you got to bullshit something back. And you're like, I don't know, just 5%. He's like, 5%. You're like, oh, no, no, no. I meant, wait, wait. <laughs> I meant 0.5. And he's like, yes, perfect. He sounds like a soothsayer in like a Shakespeare play. <laughs> hear ye, hear ye. Your debts shall fall upon hard times. Beware the Ides of March. <laughs> uh, I always felt special when I read that because my birthday's in March. <laughs> so I'd be like, the Ide is me. It's not, though. It's like the 15th. <laughs> it's like a specific date. Oh, is it? Yes. No. Uh, so moving on to our second topic today. Uh, Bill Huang. Bill Huang. Uh, the people who are savvy about like the biggest financial fuck-ups already know who this is. I think Robert Citron is maybe a less-known person. It is funny that he bankrupted an entire county by being dumb. Especially a county that has already had so much terrible stuff happen in it. Like what? Like the EAR Hans Keller. Oh, okay. <laughs> Orange County, California. Uh, Jesse's a little bit of a of a true crime fanatic, so so she knows a little bit. Um, but uh, Bill Huang is famous for losing the most amount of money in the shortest time. All right, ever. So so Bill Huang was the son of a pastor in South Korea and grew up a devout. Christian, uh, he said that God motivated to him to find a job in finances, and he talks constantly about investment being God's will, which is really weird. But he does it anyway. <laughs> he talks all the time. He's like, he's like, he's like, God wants us to build up these companies. This is God's will, and I'm like, I don't think God cares about the stock price of Google, Bill. Yeah, right. <laughs> all right, you need to calm down, Bill Huang. Uh, attained an economics degree from UCLA and then went on to secure an MBA from Carnegie Mellon, which is a very highly respected college. Is UCLA also in California? The University of California, Los Angeles. Oh, these all take place in California, huh? Uh, that's where, you know, it's either New York or California. Stocks. Um, but he moved, he was actually back in New York later. So. Oh, okay. And I actually don't know where Car- Carnegie Mellon is. 
I've definitely heard it before, but... Someone will tell us. Someone will comment something like, Carnegie Mellon is in Rhode Island. I, it's probably not in Rhode Island, then, you know, but whatever. I hope that's work. what the inner dialogue in their head sounds Carnegie like. Carnegie Mellon is in Rhode Island, you stupid mother. <laughs> you, you sound like a character. Is that oh. the end of the sentence? Pause, pause, pause. <laughs> what I was trying to think of. Wait, I'm not going to pause for this. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> this can't take more than a few seconds. What? I can't think of it. I can't think of the character. Never mind. Huang was thrust into the financial stratosphere when he met famed investor Julian Robertson, whose hedge fund Tiger Management had seen $8 million in original capital grow to over $7 billion. And Huang was made a Tiger Cub. Uh, this is legit what people who studied under Julian Robertson were called. When, the, when they, when they like, became popular and moved on to start their own things, they were called Tiger Cubs. So Julia Robertson's Julia, Julia. yes, Julia Roberts, <laughs> Julia Roberts, famed hedge fund. No, the Mona Lisa smile. Julian so. Robertson, uh huh, had a business called Tiger Management. Yeah, that was his hedge fund. So people who like he groomed became Tiger Cubs. The the students who worked under him learned his investment strategy yeah. and then broke off to start their own hedge funds. We're called Tiger Cups because here's the thing. Tiger management dissolved in 2000 and then Robertson took his capital and invested in a bunch of other investors for Mm -hmm. them, like gave them capital to start their own hedge funds in return for a stake in their company. That sounds shady. This is investment. I mean, I get, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, and he trained them. I don't know. Anything with money just sounds shady to me. <laughs> it, it, well, you, <laughs> it's because I've been listening to your podcast. I about to say it doesn't help that you just listen to this, which is always, it is always shady stuff. And yeah. in this context, there will be some shady stuff. So, what if Disney had done that to their, to their mouse club kids? <laughs> the Mickey Mouse Club? Yeah. You mean like if they just like bought part of Justin Timberlake? Like what do you yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Like as they were like, we want a stake in your like fame, you know? They kind of do that. I guess that's true. Yeah, like Selena Gomez and... Miley Cyrus. Yeah, that's They true. owned Miley Cyrus for a long time. Yeah. They had her by the balls, bro. Oh, God. Leave Miley alone. And got the best <laughs> of both balls. balls. <laughs> so, uh, Robertson had invested $25 million in Huang to start his own Tiger Cub hedge fund. Oh, uh, Huang's, so cute. Huang's fund was called Tiger Asia, a very uninvented name. And I also, I think it was set up in America. So is it just because he's Asian? It's very, it's a weird name choice. Yeah. Uh, But Tiger Asia did initially do well, but suffered losses during the Great Recession following the 2008 uh, housing collapse. What? Isn't it the house bubble? Yes. That you talked about? Yes, the subprime mortgage bubble, the the housing lending bubble. Yes. And Bill Huang, though, didn't lose his home, but did have to shutter his head fund. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, And it shuttered uh, operations. Huang also settled the SEC on charges related to insider trading with this hedge fund (gasps) to the tune of $44 million. Dang. So with his reputation tarnished, from the fallen fund and the insider trading, Huang decided instead to open what is called a family office, which does not take investments from outside sources and instead uses a single family, or in this case, a single individual, Bill Huang, as the source of capital. Huang called this office Archegos Capital Management and started investing with a personal fortune of $200 million. Over the course of seven years, Huang would grow his initial investment to over $20 billion largely investing in tech stocks during their, like, 10-year rise to the moon in 2012. 
Rise to the Moon, where they try to <coughs> get to the moon, get rich people into space. That is 100%. I, you know what? It's not supposed to be literal at all. <laughs> I mean, but come on. With, can you blame with, me for thinking that? But with the billionaire space race that's going on right now, kind of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would not be surprised. No, just like they were tech shocks like Amazon and PayPal and Google exploded. I mean, they're mm-hmm. worth like hundreds of dollars a share today. Yeah. So if you got into it, you would make a lot. You were going to the moon, money. baby. Going to let's take this to the moon. <laughs> um, I'm mad that he named his thing Archegos. He could have done like some family name for like a family of tigers. Like isn't like lions like a pride? Like, what think, are tigers? Called? I think because Tiger Asia and Tiger Management had failed at this point. Oh yeah, you don't. It was like eh, maybe we move on from this. He could have been a liger. Also, he he couldn't start another another hedge fund anyway because no one would invest with him because his his reputation is tarnished. But he had money himself, so he's like, fine, I'll use my own money to invest instead of taking clients' money because hedge funds invest client money. Oh, and also, if you get charged with something, don't they sometimes like restrict on if you can partake in that stuff? So yes, so that was the other reason that he decided to move to a family office and why he profited so well in it is because there's not as much transparency laws when it comes to family offices as shady, there is with hedge shady. funds because hedge funds obviously use investor money. Mm-hmm. But since family offices don't, they don't really have to be as forthright with what they're doing. So is it just called a family office because it's its own money? Yeah, it's a family oh, okay, office because okay. it serves like a single family. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So the problem was is that these that the trades he was making were once again highly leveraged by various investment banks. So he was getting he was taking out loans from banks to make these uh, trades at a high leverage. And he did not use any sort of complicated investment strategy. He in- instead invested huge positions in only a few stocks and bet on their price rising. It's like what all these degenerates on like Wall Street bets and Robinhood do where they just they bet on like a few stocks to go up or down. Mm-hmm. And that's it. So you either, and it's highly leveraged, like you take out a bunch of money to do it. So it's high risk, high reward. Yeah. You either make a bunch of money on a $10,000 investment, you make like $6 million, or you lose like 150000 That's so scary. Yeah, that's why it's not highly recommended. Yeah. But I mean, I guess if you got a lot of money, well, at least he's just doing it with his money now. But he's not. He's using bank's money as well. Oh, shoot. You're right. You're right. Because it's highly leveraged. Now, Huang had huge positions in Viacom, and the company announced that they were selling more stock. Now, this hurt the company and sent Huang's position into free fall. Like, the stocks went down mm-hmm. by, like, 23%. And since it was so highly leveraged, the losses exceeded the amount of liquid capital he had. So when those margin calls began pouring in, Huang couldn't foot the bill. And when he couldn't pay the bank's Hoping to recover anything, the banks liquidated their portfolio. They were like, okay, no, like you can't put up the money. We're taking everything back and we're just liquidating it. We're selling all of it to get the money back. Mm-hmm. And when one person, when one bank did that, all of the other banks, it was like, it was like a run on the banks, but the opposite. It was a run on the investor. Mm-hmm. All the banks came and were like, give us our fucking money back. So they all came, took all of his positions back, liquidated all of it. Which caused Huang to lose his entire $20 billion investment. Mm-hmm. And the banks to collectively lose $10 billion on top of that for a total loss of $30 billion Jeez. in less than a week. 
So do they also like take his house and stuff too? Like do they come in and is it like a no, Shit's Creek thing? <laughs> no, it wasn't. The thing is, is his house wasn't put up as collateral on anything. Oh, okay. So just his fortune. The collateral were the securities that he was buying. Because gotcha. that's what it is. That's what a margin account is. You take a loan, you back it up with securities. You say, I own this stock. That's why I'll take this loan. And when the stock goes down, you get the margin call. Okay, you got to give us more money or put up more stock. If you don't have it, okay, well, we own everything you have now. Give it to us. They sell all of it immediately to get the cash back. Mm. And the first few that did this, like uh, J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs, I think, they got pretty much all their investment back because they got there early. Yeah, they did it first. But Credit Suisse got there last. Oh, no. Poor Swiss. And there wasn't enough investment left either and they ended up footing most of the 10 billion dollars at five and a half billion dollars in losses to the bank did swiss have some holes in their income (laughs) (laughs) not a performer everybody come on let's give give her a round of applause for that pun the highest form of all comedy (laughs) Uh, now because huang traded something called derivative swaps which we don't have to get into um, but the point of him of this was that he basically could make his trades anonymously. So when he would purchase a derivative swap, he would never actually purchase the security. The banks he was purchasing them through, doing the swaps through, were the ones actually purchasing it. Mm-hmm. So they were the ones buying the positions in stock mm-hmm. or what it looked like to the outside. No one knew who Bill Huang was when this when this whole thing went yeah. tits up. No one knew who he was. No one had even heard of Archegos. And all of a sudden, just $30 billion was flushed down the drain in two days. Wow. So all the banks were like, wait, you also did that? You did this too? And everyone just didn't have money? Yeah, because in a family operation, you didn't have to be. And because he was using derivative swaps, his -hmm. name was never tied to anything. That's so So no one knew. And because of this... A call for reform has been prompted centered around visibility of dealings, not only in hedge funds, but also in family offices as well. So that someone can't use it in this way again. Yeah. Because that's like, wait, that's like too much power. Yeah. That's like a monopoly on debt. It basically just, (laughs) it basically like, yeah, it lets people like, they have to foot it with their own money. Mm -hmm. So that's why they didn't think it had to be as visible. Yeah. But, man, you can really ruin the economy really well, quick. Well, if you're as long to risk as, your own money like that. Yeah, and as long as you are insane enough yeah. to do this. That's the thing is that most people would have been like, yeah, this might be stupid. <laughs> but Bill Huang was like. <laughs> no little voice. <laughs> and here's the thing. A lot of people said it was because of his belief in God. Is that, that God was guiding him to invest in these companies. And he had done so well for so long. Wait, he's not the one with the seer, right? Oh, that was the last guy. That was the, that was the last guy. That was that was Citron. <laughs> that because he believed that literally he, it, he was like the divine intervention of stocks. Oh my gosh, delusions of grandeur. That man. that he couldn't fail. Yeah, but he did. Uh, he does still have uh, his charity that does hold five hundred fifty million dollars. Uh, oh, we should look into that. I bet it's shady. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, that was the thing. He did leave. He did live very modestly. During this whole time. Does uh, he have like a family? Yeah. And kids and stuff? But he had like a, he didn't live in a mansion or anything. He didn't have a okay. vacation home. He owned a suburban house nice. in New Jersey. He's risking it all. He drove a Hyundai, you know. A Hyundai. He didn't drive like a Rolls Royce or anything. So he did live mm. modestly and he did pour a lot of money into his charity. You think he just like gets off on all the risk? That's, <laughs> mo- that's most people that do stuff like this. They're yeah. gamblers at heart. It's them dang tigers. <laughs> them damn tigers. <laughs> them damn tigers. Gambling all their money away. <laughs> We got to stop building casinos on tiger land. 
it is a recipe for destruction, um, ladies and gentlemen. Those tigers, they're becoming gambling addicts. And once a tiger sees a roulette table, it's over. You can't stop it. All right. It becomes an animal. They are addicted. <laughs> they are getting comped rooms at the Caesar Palace. All right. <laughs> Can you imagine a tiger? You know, in they the are doing coke in the restroom before oh hitting up the blackjack tables, okay? <laughs> oh, save the tigers. From gambling. From themselves. From gambling. Yeah. <laughs> Poor tigers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's funny. Where, who is, what was that big documentary during the pandemic? Tiger That's King. still happening. Tiger, Tiger King. King. <laughs> what Joe Exotic did is he <laughs> brought in Tiger Cubs and yeah. exposed them to Texas Hold'em, all right? This <laughs> is no way to show them. <laughs> this is dangerous. <laughs> oh, imagine how different that documentary would be if it was about gambling tigers. You try being a loan shark for tigers, it's almost impossible. <laughs> how do you threaten a tiger? Yeah, I can't break all four kneecaps. They're just going to eat you. They're quick. <laughs> too much, too much. So that's the story of Bill Huang. Wow. And our last and stupidest is yet to come. Now, I really have saved the best for last. And I'm assuming right now, uh, Jesse's brain is about to explode with all of the technical jargon that has flown around this episode. What's a derivative swap? What is, uh, a, you know... A leverage. The, what is a leverage? What's what, a tiger cub? What? <laughs> Jesse's like, I, I made that whole bit. I had no idea what a tiger was the whole time. I was just relying. I'm just... not going to lie. I'm going with the flow. I'm yes, yeah. I'm yes ending this. You're not, not a performer. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, but this last story, no matter how much you know about investing, is just plain hilarious. So, I'll beat the judge of that. Well, I guess we'll find out. Steve Perkins <laughs> was an employee of PVM Oil Futures who traded oil futures for clients. All right. More that jargon. Shady. More jargon here. Uh, a futures contract is the agreement between two parties to sell or buy a commodity at a fixed price at a later date. That's all I put in here. I will describe it more. So okay. this came about in the time when people and business owners were worried about a rise in prices affecting the cost of their goods or the price they sell their goods at. So let's say I make um, cakes. I bake cakes, and I sell. Those cakes. Now, flour is an important ingredient in the cakes I sell. So let's say the price of flour right now is $2. I sell the cakes for $6 or whatever. So I'm making a $4. Like, let's say flour is the only ingredient. Ingredient. It's a terrible cake. The I cake know. is nasty. I know. But whatever. I sell them for $6. I make a $4 profit. Now, let's say the price of flour goes up to, like, let's say $6. Mm. Now I'm not making any profit on the cakes I sell. So what a futures contract did is that I could basically say, I will buy X amount of flour from you in a year at the price it is today at $2. So if the price went up, I make money because I bought it from you at the, at the price beforehand. But if the price goes down, I still buy it from you at the, at the price that we agreed upon. So you technically make money. But do they give the money to you right there and then? So like, do I give you the $2 for the flour now? With the guarantee that in a year, yes. you're going to have flour for Yes, me. you front the money. Okay. So basically what, what could happen is that's not the way it works anymore. Mm. Now people usually use these to be speculative on prices. So if you think the price for something is going to go up, I'd say, okay, I want to buy 10 ounces of gold from you 
in a year at the price it is today at $1,500 an ounce. If the price goes up to $1,600 an ounce in a year from now, I buy the 10 ounces from you at $1,600 an ounce or $1,500 an ounce and then sell it for $1,600 an ounce. Mm -hmm. So I gain $1,000 per ounce, so $10,000. Mm-hmm. And you can do it the other way too, where you can say, I'm going to sell you gold at uh, $1,500 an ounce a year from now. But you think gold's going to go down. But you think gold's going to go down. So gold goes down to $1,400 an ounce. I sell it to you for 15 and I make the difference in money back. And you don't even need to actually have the commodity anymore. I don't need to actually own gold because now the futures contracts, you can just say you'll exchange it in cash instead of the actual commodity. So you're just going to exchange the difference in cash at the end. Wait, but if you want the guaranteed flower and they don't have the flower. So that's what it is. They moved on to being a speculative investment on the price of commodities. So you, these are ways for us to capitalize on whether we think the price of a commodity will go up or down. That just seems silly. Why? And the buying, the buying and selling of these is what usually sets the prices for these commodities. The more people buy futures, mm-hmm. the more the price is because there's a higher demand for it. Yeah. The more people sell futures, price goes down. Less demand. Hmm. So hypothetical. So that's the thing. That's how <laughs> that's how free markets work. Yeah. That's literally the basis of what we think. It's like playing a video game. Free markets are is that is that given enough people buying and selling thing, the price will equalize. Hmm. It's a it, it's what's seen as a completely free market. Obviously, things are not that free, as we will see. Right now. So Steve Perkins, on July 29th, 2009, after Steve returned from a company-sponsored golf retreat at which he had been drinking heavily, (laughs) he returned home and sloshed back a few more spirits. And at this point, he decided, hey, why not do some work for some fucking reason? So he logged onto his computer, and he made some trades for a client. And then he says he entered an alcohol-induced blackout and while I may w- wake up at a friend's house pantless when I black out. That's true. That's an actual story. <laughs> Steve did something far worse. Steve used company money to trade 7 million barrels of oil on the futures market between 1.22 a.m. and 3.41 a.m. All while still black out drunk. I just imagine he's like logging into some like oil meets people app you know like (laughs) you don't have to be lonely at (laughs) oilfutures.com and he's just like swiping left and right (laughs) give me me seven billion give me seven seven million barrels of oil i'll fucking take all of them bro like imagine having access to that and then being just so drunk i can handle it i think you know yeah speculative price on oil on barrel they say like five billion dollars five billion dollars a barrel in a year this is a great investment i just want to know what he was thinking that's so crazy that was he was thinking this is so fucking good this is gonna be great yeah like i wonder like like, did drunk steve think he was gonna be like making money yes of course he was like i'm so fucking i'm so fucking smart it's so smart. This is easy. I can't even do this after I've had seven, 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 seven. And he was just giving it away. Seven little drinky poos. What? Well, I'll let, I'll let you keep explaining. So uh, these trades were worth five hundred million dollars and represented sixty nine percent. Nice, nice of <laughs> of the trading volume of oil and ten times the average trading volume. So he did ten times the average trading volume. Among the entire market in three hours. It was insane. 
Wait, so break that down for me. So he's like, who else is online right now trading? The people in other countries. But literally, what this means is that he's literally buying more than half of the oil. So he was buying oil. Buying and selling. He's doing both. Oh my gosh, this just sounds like a trip. Um, so he's buying and selling. He's doing both. Um, but the amount that he purchased was like 69% of the entire volume of the market. Oh my gosh. Like 69% of the oil yeah. that exists. That's what he bought and sold. Oh my gosh. In the world. That's what he did. Wow. It's insane. Uh, so Steve then, after he woke up, after I'm assuming he passed out for a little bit because his last trade was at 3.41 a.m., <laughs> Steve then called into work sick at 6.30 a.m. and then desperately tried to claw back any of the earnings by making even more riskier oh trades. Oh, my gosh. He woke up, oh, man, what a bad he hangover asked for to wake help. up with. Yeah. He wakes up, he's like, oh, shit, what did I do? This is like the biggest fuck up yeah. ever. Which, by the way, you you haven't listened to last week's episode, but for everyone else who listened to it, uh, Nick Leeson last week um, made a bet. Basically, he put a straddle, a short straddle on the uh, Singapore uh, index. So just like the entire economy of Singapore, basically the entire exchange. And a straddle means that as long as it stays stable, he'll make money no matter what, a short mm-hmm. straddle at least. Well, there was an earthquake there that happened <gasps> like the day after he did it, which caused the entire exchange to plummet and he lost like tens of millions of dollars. Oh my gosh. And I laughed my ass off when Nina told me that because I thought it was so funny <laughs> that someone made such a bad trade. Like that's so bad. It's yeah. laughably bad. Well, this has to feel like that when you wake up and you're like, I did what? I imagine he woke up and his phone was like, ding, 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 ding. Like all the notifications of people being like, what are you doing? What, what happened? happened? Well, Where, it's funny. Where's the oil? At 10 a.m., someone found out what he had been doing. Naturally. They actually called him at 7.30 and said, hey, what happened with these trades that you did like really late last night? I see that they showed up in our system. He's like, oh, I was, I was just trading for a client. Don't worry about it. And then at 10 a.m., because he was still trying to fix it. trying to sweep that under the rug. trying to fix it. You can't fix it, by the way. No. Um, And at 10 a.m., finally, they blocked him from the the computer servers. Like, so he couldn't access it anymore to to make any trades. Because he was just doing worse. My gosh. Because I imagine you're still, like, hungover. Like, I know the one time I blacked out, I did not feel good. Oh, yeah. He felt like he was hit by a truck. Still trading oil futures in the morning. And he probably felt, like, so gross while doing it. What an idiot. And Steve's trading made PVM. A company whose annual income was $12 million reported loss of $7.6 million that year. Dang. That is like two-thirds. In one night. In, of, in an of hour. Of their entire, in, yeah, three hours. Three hours. He lost two-thirds of their av- their annual revenue, all right, their annual income, not even, like, ugh. Crazy. Uh, His tradings unnaturally inflated the price of oil by more than $1.50 a barrel, from $71.40 a barrel to $73.50 a barrel over the course of that evening, which was the highest it had been in eight months. Wow. Which is generally only caused by huge geopolitical events, like a war being declared. Or Steve Perkins. Or Steve Perkins (laughs) drunkenly trading... Seven million oh barrels gosh. of oil in a night. Wow. Uh, Steve Perkins was obviously sacked, as they would say in Britain, and the regulatory agency of the country saw this as illegal market manipulation. And in 2009, B- 
guard him from working as a trader for a minimum of five years Dang. and find him 72,000 pounds, reduced from 150,000 pounds, as it was determined that would cause him an undue financial hardship. What? He didn't make, like, he made money, but he didn't make, like, that much money. Yeah, but, I mean, he just harmed how much of the economy. Yeah, he really did. He and did, they're he, like, oh, we don't want to hoard him. He really did fuck it up. Uh, if Well, here's the thing, though. The price didn't stay that inflated. Mm-hmm. If it stayed that inflated, it would have cost the world $124 million. Yeah. Just, like, just well, people who Well, were they able to oil. just undo it, or? Well, because it was falsely inflated, it just came up for a second, and everyone freaked the fuck out. They're like, what the fuck is going on? This is insane. And then they're like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, and they found, they found out drunk Steve Perkins just fucked it up. It just came back down to its original price. Oh, okay. So it didn't actually end up That's super good. hurting anything, but it did cause everyone to freak the fuck out for a second. Yeah. And he did cause his company specifically a lot of money. Oh, is the company still like going? Yeah, they're still around. Wow, that's so crazy. But, you know, it didn't end up too bad for Steve Perkins because two days after the sanctions were announced, another oil brokerage company uh, hired him to write training manuals for new traders. Although it is speculated that this is a workaround from his ban as a trader since before the incident, he was highly competent and profitable. Do you think the first page of that training manual says don't drink and then get on your computer. <laughs> yeah, he also he also um, entered Alcoholics Anonymous, so he went into a rehab program. I mean, good for him. Um, one of the officials also stated on the record that he poses a extreme risk to uh, the economy only while drunk. <laughs> and this company that hired him basically said, hey, we're hiring because we think, we think he's a good guy. Who did something very stupid while yeah. drunk. Well, I mean, that makes sense. Like, he, he's good at his job when he's sober. But when he's drunk, he just gets an inflated ego and thinks he can do anything, I guess. It's just <laughs> hilarious. Like, yeah. that has to be... This story has to be the worst stupid fuck-up I've yeah. ever heard of when it comes Oh, I'd feel to so trading, sick if I did that. To financial decisions. <laughs> like, people lose money every day. You know, investors lose money every day, mm-hmm. especially in like hedge funds and stuff. Every day, someone loses millions of dollars because every time someone gains millions of dollars, someone loses it. Yeah. You know? But just to do this <laughs> yeah. is hilarious. Because I like freak out if I like forget to turn a light off at work before I leave. So I like couldn't even imagine like doing something like this Fucking and then having to bad. show yourself at work. Like, well, luckily oh I don't think God. he went back to work. Well, yeah, yeah. He so. called in sick, <laughs> which that's also funny. It's just like, I'm not going to. Uh, Nick Leeson last uh-huh. week, they already know this. He just left a uh, a sticky note that said, I'm sorry. Oh, my God. I owe you. <laughs> he literally said, I'm sorry. And that was it. And he ran away. Oh, my God. And he was in hiding in various European countries for like eight months. Wow. But then they found him? Yeah, they found him. Oh, okay. So. How funny. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was also that was the most hilarious part to me. Oh my gosh. I hope it had a smiley face. Or a sad face. A winky sad face. <laughs> yeah. Semicolon open parenthesis. <laughs> so there we have it. A snippet of some of the biggest and stupidest mistakes in financial history that included financial crimes in at least some aspect. If today has taught us anything, it is don't leverage yourself to oblivion. Lose just your own money when investing like the rest of us. That was the undoing of both Robert Citron and Bill Huang. Something even more important is that if you work with other people's money and also like to get absolutely shwasted, that's fine. 
Just please keep those two things separate. <laughs> Alcoholics make great writers. But in the case of Steve Perkins, they make terrible financial decisions. Well, so uh, thank you, Jesse, for coming on today and being You're a welcome. short uh, a short order replacement. Is that a short joke? You are very small. I'm not. For a robot. <laughs> I built you that way. Weird. Short with a big S. Yep. Now you all know his type. Like a lowercase d. <laughs> That's weird. You've thought about that too much. <laughs> a lot of thought goes into building an AI, Jessica. It's a lot of hard work. A lot of hard. I don't, I don't want to know what you did to your AI. Oh, wait, I'm your AI. But Dr. Don bootstrap loading. Oh, my God. So, yeah, thank you, Jesse, for coming on. Mm-hmm. Thanks uh, for having me. And thank you, everyone at home, for listening. Uh, you have no idea how many coughs I just edited out of this episode because it's a lot. So thank you for listening. Uh, if you like what you heard, you like these little compilation episodes, let us know. And you can also just leave us a review. Uh, a review uh, on iTunes specifically. It's the only uh, podcasting service that allows for reviews. But if you go on there, uh, leave a review. If you're listening on anywhere else, if you can just like and subscribe, it really helps us out and gain a bigger listenership if you support us. Um, you can also support us by following our socials and stay in contact with us, stay uh, up to date with what the podcast is doing. That's uh, facebook.com slash white collars red hands, Twitter at white collars pod, Instagram at white collars underscore red hands. You can also listen directly at our website at whitecollarsredhands.com. That's how you can also enter that potiversary giveaway that I mentioned at the beginning. Check out the host profiles. Uh, go to our merch, which we're giving away. But if you just want to buy some, go on there, support us, give us some money. You get something in return. It's a sweet sweatshirt, uh, a mug. They just released iPhone 13 cases. Got an email about that. So <laughs> if you're an early adopter of flagship phones and you want to have our logo on the back of it, it's doable. <laughs> you can also send us an email. Uh, drop us a line any on any of those social services. Social services, social media services, <laughs> whoa, whoa. I guess. I don't know. Uh, but you can contact us directly. Suggest a, suggest an episode. We do a fan suggested episode, at least one every single season. So get it in before next season uh, at whitecollarsredhands at gmail.com. And yeah, I think that's it. So thanks, Jesse. Do you that's know our do you know our outro? You want you want to do the outro? Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week on another episode of White Collars. Red hands. We say it together. Oh, wait, okay. One more time. One more time. <laughs> Put some gusto in it. Once more with feeling. Just okay, to- okay, okay. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week on another episode of White Collars, Red, Red Hands. Hands.